about before, that actually you are the church, that the church is not this building. We call it the church, and that's okay as long as we understand that biblically speaking, and we always want to speak biblically, right? That's the idea, that the church is the people. And so that's where we find ourselves today in our sermon series, which is simply titled Epic. It is us exploring essential theology, but as revealed in the greatest story ever told. And so if you've been with us at all, or even once over the last uh, number of weeks, you've recognized that we are in this unique series because we are looking at theological topics, but we're doing it in an order that kind of helps us to tell the biblical story from Genesis to Revelation. And so today, where we find ourselves is in the study of the church. It's simply about who we are and what we're supposed to do, like the video said. Church is really not what we're sitting through right now. We are in a church building. Why? Because that's where the church gathers. And I don't know where in our history or where in church history that sort of that mindset of of this being the church, like the building sort of came about, but it's probably just because that's where the church met. But it's really important to understand that biblically the church is us and we are the church. And you know, um, there's questions that might come up about that. And, And so I wonder, have you ever really thought about what church is? Maybe you grew up going to uh, to be with the church, going to church, and and you've always kind of maybe just taken it for granted. Like, yeah, this is what church is. It's Sunday morning for a little while, and um, if the pastor speaks long, it's for a little bit while longer. And uh, there's some worship, and then we give some money, and and then uh, we hear the pastor talk, and then we we um, we probably sing another song, and then we have some fellowship and go home. And um, and so those are all essential elements of what the church should be doing. But did you ever just stop and think about who the church is, like what we really are, what's our identity as a church, and then what we're called to do? You know, what are we supposed to be doing? And so it's kind of what that video sort of helps to get us thinking about. And that's what we're going to look at today. Because there's many things we can talk about. I mean, we, you know, we can talk about why do we meet here on Sundays and what are we supposed to do? And is, is this the only way to do church? Is, is there a different way or a better way? And how do people halfway around the globe, how do they do church? Do they go to church in suit and ties or shirts and flip-flops? And do they sing with guitars and drums? And do they show videos? And if they don't, is that wrong or is that right or maybe just different? There's lots of things we can talk about. Um, we can talk about things like, you know, is this church, is it just the building? Or, or maybe, uh, you know, what about denominations? And, or even the question of like, what if I don't like the church I'm going to? Can I leave? Is that okay? And I would say at least for the next hour, no, it's not okay. You need to stay. But, you know, there was a story of a man who was marooned on a desert island and um, Uh, He had been there for about four or five years, and he was finally rescued. And there were some sailors that came ashore and rescued him and and brought him to their ship. And as they they were rowing away to get towards the ship, they looked back and they noticed there were three grass huts on the beach. And, and so they were kind of curious, the sailors, and they asked the, the man they just rescued, and they said, well, you were alone, right? And he said, yeah, for about five years. And they said, well, how come there's three different huts? And he goes, oh, well, the one on the left, that's my house. And then 
he said, and the one next to that is my church. And then they said, well, what about the third one? He said, oh, that's the church I used to go to. But it's funny, but here's the thing. Kind of uh, tells a little story in a sense, doesn't it? He built his own church, and then he wasn't happy with it. And so he left and built another one. Something to think about. Well, there's many misconceptions about what church is. Confusion over style preferences uh, in preaching and music and dress um, traditions. And even the idea that change happens and it can be hard, but that it's inevitable. And there's many things we can discuss and talk about in, in relation to church. But first and foremost, it's vitally important that we have a proper biblical understanding of the church as our foundation so that we can truly enjoy a unity of mission and vision as we change and as we grow into the future, right? Because if we're going to grow together and we're going to embrace change together, we need to be on the same page. And where it starts with is the pages of Scripture about who we are, who God says we are, and what we're supposed to be doing. Almost like a reality check to gain perspective, to make sure we're doing what Christ has called us to do and all that the Apostle Paul and the other apostles taught us and the early church to do. You know, next Sunday, as I mentioned, is the first Sunday of 2020. I had to take a drink after saying that because that's just like a little crazy, right? But uh, we'll be completing our series, this current sermon series next Sunday, with eschatology. And that is the study of the future. How this whole story is going to come to an end. And so um, I'm sure that you'll all be interested in that. Uh, that, t- that tends to be the topic uh, that most Christians have questions about. It would be a great opportunity to invite some friends or family to kind of hear that. Um, you know, how the story ends, uh, but we'll kind of do a whole recap, but we want to see what God has revealed about what we have to look forward to, but a study of the future. Uh, and so then the week after that, uh, we're actually going to, uh, just talk about what does the future of Trinity look like specifically for the year 2020. And so I'll be unveiling a, a sort of a theme that we're going to have for next year, what our focus is going to be on to make sure we continue to learn and to grow and to serve, but even more specifically, honing our focus in on what God has called us to do. And I think today is sort of a big part of laying the foundation for that because, you know, we can be very creative uh, about how we do church because uh, the Bible gives some specifics about like church leadership and and some order in church and, and that, but there's a lot of freedom within the pages of Scripture given to us about how we express our faith. And so uh, we always want to start with what God has revealed to us. Amen? And so that's what we're going to do today as we build the foundation so that next week we can see how the story ends and the following week we'll we'll sort of together uh, look at what our year as Trinity will look like in 2020. Okay, what our theme will be, and as a church, what we're going to be looking to do, what kind of changes might be coming down the road, and what we're going to be embracing together, because it's all in the name of unity. See, I mean, God desires unity in relationships, doesn't he? I was blessed to be able to uh, uh, officiate over a wedding yesterday, and um, it just always strikes me about how God, uh, and especially if you read the Apostle Paul, how God really speaks to the Apostle Paul about this 
this heart of the Lord for unity, unity in relationships, because how are you going to move forward together if you're not unified, right? And then there's leadership and God provides leadership in churches, but the idea is you're casting a vision, you're on a mission, you're on the same page, and then you're moving forward. And so over the next three weeks, we will be able to unpack that and see what that's going to look like. And so I just want to kind of give a, um, uh, a recap of where we've been. So in our study, we, we started with bibliology. Remember the, the study of the Bible to see where our, our story begins. Um, we looked at what we call theology proper, uh, which is really the study of God the Father. And that's our first and, and main character in the story. We looked at pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. And we looked at angelology and demonology, self-explanatory, right? Um, We looked at anthropology, the study of us, of humans, and what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Remember that? Way back before Christmas? Remember that? Uh, Way back then? Uh, But then, of course, we looked at what the, the drama was that unfolded in the story of the Bible, and that was the introduction of sin. So hamartiology, the study of sin. And then, of course, we looked at what's the solution? What's the provision for that problem? And that was the topic of soteriology, which means the study of salvation. Okay? And then, of course, we looked at Christology, and that was last Sunday, the Sunday right before Christmas, and all, all about the birth of Jesus and what that means, the incarnation of God, that God took on flesh uh, and remember, through all of these, there's so many things we can discuss. The idea is that we get a, a broader picture, a broader view, that we're connecting them, which is important, and that then you can go back and study and dig deeper on your own. So hopefully you've been taking notes. There's always a lot of scripture. Today we do have a lot of scripture, but mainly two longer passages that you'll see, and I'll start with one in just a second. So our topic today is the study of the church, and in theological terms, it is called ecclesiology and it comes simply from the greek word that we translate normally for church which is ecclesia maybe you've heard that before and that word in 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 greek the reason i mention it is because it's important it's important because of the meaning the meaning of that word ecclesia or church where we get church is called out the called out ones the assembly the the gathering the group of the ones who are called out and that's important to kind of keep in mind as we go through our, our, our look uh, at the scriptures today. That the church is a group, an assembly of people who are called out. So that should raise some questions, right? Who's calling us out, right? And what are we being called out from and to? Does that make sense? Right? But that's what the church is. The church is not the building. It's where the church gathers. But... Even if we're not gathering in the building, we are still the church. Because there's another aspect we'll look at. There's the universal church. We say with a capital C. That's every Christian, every believer, everywhere. But then there's the small C, the local church. There's the universal, there's the local church. And the Bible has a lot to say about the local church as well. Okay, But that's basically what it means in a nutshell is that the church is the called out ones. The ones who are called out from something and then we'll look at who's calling us out calling us out from and to all right uh and so the the bigger topics today that we're going to kind of break this into just two simple sections we're going to look at two things the nature of the church like who are we as a church we've established that we're the church who does the bible say that we are okay so the nature of the church who are we and then the purpose of the church what are we supposed to be doing 
right? If God says, here's who you are, and he gives us like gifts and, and, and blessings and, and abilities, then we should be doing something with that, right? And so it's who we are and then what we're supposed to be doing, okay? Pretty simple. And that's what we're going to look at today. That's sort of our, our, our outline today. And so I want to start by reading you a passage uh, from 1 Corinthians 12. So you can turn there. It'll be up on the screen in a second. This is 1 Corinthians 12. It's verses 12 to 27. And it may be one that you've read before. Uh, and the reason that I'm reading it is this. Because if we simply want to define, before we unpack it a little bit, uh, the nature of the church or who we are, very simply, uh, let's think of it this way. The church is the body of Christ. That might sound a little weird. What does that mean, the body of Christ? Well, Paul kind of explains that in this passage. So, for our general definition and understanding, if we're trying to see the nature of the church, like who we are, we are the body of Christ. Okay? That's very simple. Now we're going to see all that that means. So the church is the body of Christ. That's our simple definition. And here's what Paul says, and he kind of gives us that illustration, that metaphor of a physical body, and how that relates to us being the body of Christ as the church. Okay? Okay? It says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, then that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. See that last verse? He sums it all up. 
He says, you are the body of Christ. Remember that the Apostle Paul was a lawyer. It's good to remember that as as we read his words in his letters. He's making a case, isn't he? Didn't he kind of say the same thing over and over? It's almost like he could have said it all in like two verses, right? But he repeated it. Why? Except first of all, I think God knows that we need things in repetition, don't we? To hear it over and over in different ways. But Paul is basically saying this. He's saying, look, we all know about our physical bodies. Everything we like, everything we don't like about it. But we understand there are different parts to the body that God gives us. But they have to work together, right? They have to work together. And you know, like your leg falls asleep and you're like, your leg is not cooperating. You want to go this way, but it's staying back there. We know how that works. And so our bodies have to work together. We know what it feels like when one or more parts of our body is not working properly, right? We're not feeling well. We understand this. We understand this. And Paul knew it would be a a very simple idea and, and word picture. But it's so profound because then at the very end he says, you are the body of Christ. So it's not just some theological abstract idea over the body of Christ, how mysterious. No, the idea is he's saying we are all part of the body of Christ. We all play a part. And hidden in there, I think he makes it pretty clear, but we don't want to miss it. What he's saying to all of us today is that you are important. And you matter. You might feel some days like, I think I'm just the nose hairs of this church. And like nobody wants nose hairs, I cut them out all the time. But what would Paul say to that? Those nose hairs are important because you're keeping all the germs out of your body and, you know, there's a really important part of that. So Paul is making the case, you can't, we can't be all one big eyeball or one big ear. He goes, that would make no sense. So it's like God designed the physical bodies to work together. It's, it's amazing the way he did that. We should always be amazed at that. But then remember, it's the same thing as the church, the called out ones, that we are simply called the body of Christ. Now, last week we talked about the incarnation, right? God taking on flesh. So Jesus no longer walks this earth physically as a human. But he left and he gave us the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about in a moment. We had a whole sermon on him, right? But he says, I will build my church. That's us. So he is adding to the church. We're going to see a scripture on that in a moment. And, and here's the thing. Just like he formed us physically, he is forming us spiritually as brothers and sisters, as a body universally throughout the whole world, we have brothers and sisters in Christ all throughout the world. Isn't that awesome? You know, this summer we got to go to Brazil and we we got to minister with some of them, get to know some of them. And it's so fun to see them in their element and doing church a different way, in a different language and different traditions and customs. And how silly would it be to walk into a church in a different country and be like, oh, that's not right. No, that's not right. They did five songs. We do three. See, and that's the way that you do it. See, but the idea is like there's there's believers all over the world. And but yet there's also the local assembly, the local body of believers. And then we are love and care for one another. We're going to see what the, the Bible tells us about that. But yet we need to remember very simply. And I like simple. It helps me that we are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So we're still individuals. And we look different, we act different, we bring our own uh, uh, baggage, we bring our own uh, toolbox, our own gifts and talents. We bring it all, but we're supposed to bring it all to the table, so to speak, and share it with one another, share ourselves with each other, because that's the picture that Paul gives us, that we're a body. 
And we're supposed to lift each other up and bless each other. And sometimes we're the feet and other people are the hands and other people are, are the brains leading something at a particular time and, and other people are the, 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 the mouth. And all you get the picture, right? But we're supposed to do it together. So he says, you're still individuals, but you're members of it, okay, of the body. And so here's a few things, and we'll just go move through it briefly, but a few things that the Bible says about us being the body of Christ and why that's such an important picture, that we are the body. Remember, we're keeping in mind that all of the parts of the body work together. But who is it that's bringing us together? And more importantly, who are we all connected to? Who is the head of the church? That is Jesus. So the Bible clearly says that Jesus is the head of the church. Right? Now sometimes we might act like we're the head. No, we got it. We got it, God. We're in charge, right? But it says that Jesus is the head of the church. He died for us. He died for the church. He gave his life for the church and there's a great passage that Paul talks about and talking about marriage relationship and husbands and wives and the husband being able to, to, to being willing to die for his bride. And see, just like Christ died for his bride, us, the church. So what does it mean to be the body of Christ? And specifically, how does it connect us to Jesus? If he's our head and we're the body, right? Because he's no longer here. He calls us to be the body until he returns for us to represent him. And what does that look like? So first we remember we need to stay connected with Jesus. We cannot be a healthy functioning body without a head. Am I right? Okay, that makes sense. So one of the first things is, as the body of Christ, we receive the gift of Christ's righteousness. Now I'm not going to show you every verse, but Romans 5.17 says it if you want to write them down. Romans 5.17 talks about how we receive his righteousness. So how are we connected to Jesus? Uh, he's the head and we're the body. He gives us his righteousness. We are also joined to Christ in salvation. The baptism is a great picture of us dying with Christ and then being raised to life with Christ. And so he provides us salvation and so we are saved in him. Do you ever notice how often in the New Testament, especially the Gospels, it says that we are in him. It says we're in Christ, in him, in Jesus. Think about what that means. That we are in him. It's because we're the body. And he's the head. So we are in him. We are intimately connected. So we are joined to Christ in salvation. We receive the gift of his righteousness. We follow Christ as, his, as he is the head. So he's the head where he leads. We're going to go. So we follow him. Right? We are to represent him physically in this world Remember we talked about what does it mean to be created in the image of god and then and we talked in christology the fact that we are now his representatives and so we do that physically as well again because god came to earth for those 33 or so years and and then he left and so he says i will build my church and he calls us to now be his representatives you often hear that term where his hands and his feet right or some people say, you might be the only Jesus or the only Bible that people ever get to see. It's because we represent him. We talked about reflecting his light. It's his light. We reflect it. So we are ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents the will of one person in a foreign country, right? The will of the leader of one country in a foreign country. Well, we are in exile, church, in a foreign land because our true home is in heaven. 
And so here on this earth, we represent our God who is in heaven. And he said, one day I'll come back. I won't leave you in exile forever. Does that sound familiar? Like the Old Testament story, right? Of God redeeming his people, right? And so we are in exile, but recognizing that until he returns, he calls us to be something and to do something, and he gives us all the power to do it. So we receive the gift. We uh, are joined in him. We follow him. We represent him. Um, he gives us the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Romans 8, 9 says that. He gave us the Holy Spirit who indwells us. We possess spiritual gifts. There's a few different passages, but uh, 1 Corinthians 12 is a great passage. Um, 4 through 31, you can look at all about the different spiritual gifts. So if Christ, look, if Christ gives us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. Does that make sense? Do you know what the spiritual gifts are for? Again, we could do a whole series on just the gifts, right? The Holy Spirit gives us gifts, why? To be the church, to bless each other. The spiritual gifts are not for us, so, you know, oh, I'm good, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm given the gift of teaching, and so look at me, I'm teaching. No, the idea is to bless each other. So we need to discover our spiritual gifts. Because the Holy Spirit, the Bible says the Holy Spirit, at the moment of salvation, gives every believer at least one, usually more, at least one, spiritual gift. And that gifting is to build up and edify and bless the church. And if the, bo- the members of the body are not using their gifts that God has given them, then the body is not going to be as healthy and strong and vibrant and outspoken and representative of the Lord as it should be. Right? So there's a challenge there today. What are your spiritual gifts? How are you using them <clears throat> to bless the church to then bless God? So the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> excuse me, we get from Christ... And the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 says that. Uh, in 12, 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it says this. The body is a unit, right? though it is made up of many members. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Right? One body, many members. How about this? We, um, we share a common bond with all other Christians. Regardless of background, regardless of race, regardless of of, of age, regardless of where they serve, regardless of how long they've been a Christian or been serving in ministry. Do you see what I'm saying? We look around and we have a a diverse group of people and we look around the world and brothers and sisters don't all look like us. And we can say, thank God for that, right? (laughs) But the point is God has created and is creating a very diverse, beautiful church, His body. But we have this common bond with others. We often talk about fellowship. We love to fellowship with each other because of our common bond in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.25, we read it. There should be no division in the body. We know that makes sense physically, but what about spiritually as a church? God does not want division. The Apostle Paul talks all about unity. Philippians 2, 1-11, you should jot that down. I think one of the greatest passages about humility, the humility of Christ, and how that humility is to lead to unity. Philippians 2. That's where Paul talks about the humility of Jesus, that Jesus laid down his life for us. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he gave himself up for us, for the church. 
And he wants there to be unity. See, right away, when, 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 uh, at, at Pentecost, and we'll see that too, in Acts chapter 2, a great chapter to read about the coming of the Holy Spirit on the first believers and the establishment of the church. And, and then we see what happens is pretty soon after that, there starts to be divisions and some bad doctrine and bad theology and, and some, some fighting within the ranks. And that's the very first generation of Christians. You believe that? Don't just assume because, you know, some of them we have their names in Scripture that, and we know about the first church that it was perfect. No, it wasn't. Paul planted all these churches, then he went back and he designated elders, and he had to often write letters. Why? Because there was crisis. He had to write a letter to address a problem. Right away there were issues in the first generation. God desires unity in the body. But how about this? As a body of Christ, we partake of Christ's death and resurrection. He gives us ordinances that we're going to be baptized and that we're also to receive communion. We call the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. We're going to do that next week. That's a beautiful picture of our connection to Christ and to one another because that's something that we do together as a family because that's what Jesus told us to do. It's one of the two commands of God to the church, of Jesus to the church. You know that? He says to the church two things. He, he tells us many things about the church. Two commands he gives us. Be baptized. I, I mentioned that earlier. And do this in remembrance of me. To take communion. To remember what he did for us. So in that act of communion, we are partaking of Christ's death, death and resurrection. But it also tells us this in baptism as well. Colossians 2.12. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. See, that's why Jesus said, get baptized. Once you're a believer, you get baptized. Get baptism is very simply this. It's an outward expression of the change that's already happened in your heart. You become a believer, and then you get baptized because you're publicly displaying to the church and to everybody else that you invite on the day of your baptism, that I am connected to Jesus forevermore. That I will learn from him and I will follow him. It's that idea, saying I am now connected to Jesus. But the baptism is such a beautiful picture, just like the communion. Do you think about that? The baptism and communion, two things that are highly symbolic, but bring us back to very profound truth, that we are dead and buried with Christ, because he died for our sins, but because he came back to life and the tomb is empty, defeated death, then we also get the beautiful blessing of a new life and that we will one day, one day be resurrected as well. We can't look forward and we can't look forward to that more, right? That we will one day be resurrected. And so therefore, we partake in his death and resurrection. We also get to share in Christ's inheritance. That's Romans eight seventeen. So I just want to highlight these words. We'll move on to part two. All these things that I mentioned, right, as the church is the body of Christ, think, listen to these words. We receive, we are joined, we follow, we represent, we are indwelt, we possess, we share, we partake. Those beautiful words. That talks about our connection with Jesus because we are the body. So a few more things that I can't really, I don't really have time to unpack all of these. But again, uh, we just kind of follow along how this works. So, church is a called out ones, a called out assembly. Of who? 
of Christians. The church is not whoever shows up on Sunday morning. The church is made up of Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. Jesus is the head. The church started at Pentecost, Acts chapter, you're going to read Acts, look at Acts 1, Acts 2, and you will see the Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit to the first believers, the beginning of the church, because we cannot be the church without the person of the Holy Spirit, because if you have the Holy Spirit within you, it means you're a believer, right? And so that's what we learned all about that when we talked about the Holy Spirit, that when you believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation and for Jesus alone, that you're saved by grace through faith, when you receive that free gift of salvation by faith in Christ alone, it says at that moment, you are given by God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells in you, and he never leaves you. You can't lose that salvation. You don't lose the Holy Spirit. We talked all about indwelling and then filling. We can pray for the filling because the, the filling means we're being obedient to God and we're following him. And so it's more of the Holy Spirit leading us and less of us and the world leading us. And so Jesus is the head. The church started at Pentecost with the giving of the Holy Spirit. The church, this is really important, does not replace Israel. There's a lot of correlations. We see God using the church to represent him in the world as he did with Israel. But what we believe here and preach here at the church is that God is not done with Israel, that there will be a day in the future, which you'll learn about next week, so make sure you come back, that um, that he will continue and complete his plan with Israel. But for right now, we are said we are in the church age or the age of grace. See, we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace, right? And so we are in what we call the church age, the age of grace. And so we are now the church, Jew or, or Greek, right? Meaning Jew or Gentile, male, female, doesn't matter. All have to come to God through Christ. In this day, in this age, this age of grace, this age of the church, right? That belief and faith is our common ground. But yet, don't be mistaken that the church does not replace Israel. We do not gain just all of those blessings that God gave to uh, Israel through the Abrahamic covenant, right? And the Davidic covenant, all those are still for Israel. But for now, in this time, what we call this dispensation, this being God's desire and his economy for his world and his people right now, we are the church. It says Jesus will build the church. We don't build the church. Jesus does, right? Now, we're given specific things to do as a church, but Jesus builds it by bringing people to faith. He draws them. There is the universal church. We say that with a capital C. That's believers everywhere. There's the local church representing God in our local uh, area. We have been given all spiritual blessings. You know what? Read Ephesians chapter 1. Not right now, but I'm just saying, read it. Write that down. And if you're ever feeling discouraged, if you're feeling confused about who you are in Christ, and maybe I'm not worthy. I don't know God has for me. I read Ephesians 1. You'll be so blessed. The Apostle Paul talks about spiritual blessings. You know, he says you have every spiritual blessing that you need. We've been given all spiritual blessings as the church. We've been given spiritual gifts. There's the ordinances we talked about. We call them baptism and communion. Uh, the Bible talks about church government in the New Testament. That there are to be leaders, there are elders, and there are deacons. And they have very specific roles, but complementary. 
You see in Acts, I think it's in Acts 6, you can read about the very first, what we call deacons, deacon meaning servant, right? They are ministers of mercy. And you have elders who are to oversee the church in spiritual matters and and, and overseeing the church. You have deacons who are assisting them and helping them and together working to lead the church. And so the Bible uh, gives us specific things about the church. But again, there is so much leeway and freedom about how to express ourselves as a local assembly of believers within the framework and margins that God provides, like leadership is one of them. And again, we are under grace and no longer the law. I'll give you a quick example of that. One of the best examples is this. So you know in Malachi, it talks about, um, I don't know the verses, but it talks about um, giving the tithe, bringing your tithe to the storehouse. And God says, like, test me on this, right? And so often you'll hear uh, uh, sermons and you'll hear preachers use that to try to raise money. I've got a capital campaign coming up. We happen to have one of those coming up, right? And if I wanted to, yeah, I've got to preach the whole sermon. Bring your tithes to the storehouse. You know, that's what God says. Test them on this. Well, here's the thing. There's principles in there that are true. But that was for the people of Israel under the Mosaic law. Now, are we under the law any longer? We're not under the law. See, they were compelled to give. In fact, that tithe was one of three tithes that we know about. Two, they had to give it annually. One was every few years. So if you think about it, they weren't supposed to give just 10%. They were supposed to give like 23% or more. So maybe that should be our new policy here. Even 23%. No, but see, they were compelled under the law. It was almost like a tax because they had to do that. It said, bring your tithes, right, to the storehouse. You know what the storehouse was? It was the temple. No, we don't have a temple, do we? Who's the temple now? We are. We're the temple. It says we are now the temple. There used to be a temple, a building. That's where God resided in the Old Testament. He said, bring your tithes to the storehouse. Bring all those offerings that you required under the law to give. Bring it to the temple. And it was food. It was grain offerings. It was vegetables. It was, it was livestock. Why? Because the priests did not work the land. They did not have their own farms. So how did the priests live? Through the tithes and offerings. See? And so they were required to give that. But now, there is no one temple where God dwells. Where does God dwell? Within us. Because we are the, te- the temple. You see how beautiful that is? That's part of being the church. But here's the thing. Does that mean that, oh, good, we're, we're, we're free from the law, we're no longer law, we don't have to give it all? No, because what does the New Testament teach us? To live generously. To give, to be people that are giving people. To live generously in every way, with our time, with our talent, with our treasure, yes. But not out of compulsion, it says, but what God has put on your heart to give. Do you see the difference? Under the law, they said, you give this, and this was for a particular reason, and God instituted it for a reason. But praise God, we're not under the law anymore. There's nobody telling you what to give in the church. But the idea is that if we are now saved by grace in Jesus Christ, we are now to give not out of compulsion, but just out of a thankful heart. We should want to give because we want to, because we love Jesus. And we love His church because we're part of it. And so as God blesses, we give. And as He blesses more, we give more. But see, that's the spirit of it that the New Testament calls us to. So we are called to be giving people. But I bring that up because too many Christians 
they make that mistake and say, oh, well, we've got to do that. We've got to bring our tithe to the storehouse. Well, as your principle of the hour, yeah, bring your offering to God. Give it to God of everything that you have, meaning of your, your time and, and, uh, and of your talents, but also, yes, of your treasures. But you don't do it because you're under the law. You do it because God is gracious. And you do it as an act of response, of worship, of devotion. You see how different that is? It's night and day. But we are under grace, no longer under law. So, the second part of this. So, if that's who we are, just a snapshot, a a small snapshot of who we are as the church, then what are we supposed to do? Okay? So, here's the application, church. Here's the the end of the message, the, the application. What are we supposed to do? Let's look at Acts 2. Again, we're in Acts a lot because the beginning of the church, the great historical account of the church, read about Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit. I love this. One of my favorite passages. So first we're going to look at Acts 2.42. Then I'm going to read a little bit more verses after that. Look at what it says. So, and they, meaning this is the first Christians. Okay, this is the church, the brand new church. Here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Four things. Now, There's a lot of things built into that, but I think this is sort of a good uh, outline, isn't it? Four things that we see in Acts. Remember, Luke wrote the book of Acts. And he he says to us today, he says, look, this is what the very first Christians did, right? They knew who they were. Jesus told them who they were. And then the apostle Paul started teaching them about who they are and the other apostles. Here's who you are. Now, this is what you do. So they got together, okay? And they did four things. First... They dedicated themselves, they committed themselves to proper doctrine. Doctrine meaning teaching. So they were learning what Jesus taught the disciples, what the disciples were teaching them. They were sitting at the feet of the apostles and the apostles were saying, this is who you are in Christ, these are all your spiritual blessings, and this is what you're called to do. So the idea first is what is a church supposed to do? Study the word of God. As the church, how can we know who we are and what we're supposed to do if we're not opening the pages of the Scriptures? And so at the time, what they did was they listened to the apostles. So the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So, the first thing, a church is supposed to be dedicated and devoted to the Scriptures. To the studying and to the preaching of the Scriptures. Because that's where we figure out who we are and what we're supposed to do. That's why we started this whole series with the Bible, because that's where we get the story from, and we learn about our identity and, and what God calls us to do. Does that make sense? So it says that's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So a church should be dedicated to teaching the truth, being founded on the truth, which is what we call the Bible. It is God's revealed Word to us. But then what else? And the fellowship. Oh, that's an easy one. We love the fellowship, right? What does fellowship mean? It means you learn from the Word of God, and then you help each other learn. There's this great uh, um, picture in, um, it's either in Ezra or Nehemiah, and there's this picture of uh, um, the the people from exile, the the exiles uh, of Israel and Babylon are coming back to the land. They're rebuilding the temple and, and, and the wall in Jerusalem, and they are clamoring for the Word of God. So Ezra, the priest, gets up, And he preaches, he reads from the scroll for like six hours in the morning. And they're all listening and they're all standing there. And then what the other priests did is they mingled around the people. 
kind of like giving commentary and teaching. Oh, you hear what Abishur just said? This is what it means. And they were doing that. That's kind of the picture of what we're supposed to do. So we learn from the Bible, and then we fellowship. And fellowship is great. We need that, right? We hear each other's stories. The testimonies, hey, what's God doing in your life, brother? How are you doing today, sister? And like, what's God been doing? Let me tell you what he just did. Or man, I'm struggling and I don't feel like God's answering my prayers. And maybe you can help them and see there's fellowship. We hear that. But then what also we can do is say, you know, I just read. I just read in Philippians and it said this. And I just read in Philippians 4. It said, don't be anxious. And why don't we read that verse together? You see how that works? So we're learning, but then we're fellowshipping. and We're helping each other to grow. So look, so we can say it this way. They're learning and they're growing. That sounds pretty good. They're learning and they're growing. But then what else are they doing? It says to the breaking of bread. There's a couple things there. Yes, actually it means eating. So they had meals together. Probably more than once a month. But they had meals together. We love to do that too, right? There always seems to be food when we get together. And that's nice. That's part of fellowship. But specifically, he's talking about the breaking of bread. That is communion. That is um, remembering the Lord through the Lord's Supper. They did that together when they, whenever they got together. Why? Because Jesus told them to. Does that make sense? And, the, and, the, um, and during the Last Supper, right in the upper room, and Jesus said, uh, make sure that you do this in remembrance of me. So it says that's what the church did. Well, Jesus said to do it, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to have the breaking of bread, okay, every time we get together, remembering Christ's sacrifice for us. And they prayed. That sounds important. We pray individually, but they also prayed together. They prayed corporately. So four things that the church was doing. So if you want to know what we're supposed to be doing as a church, this is a good place to start, isn't it? Devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, their learning, fellowship, Breaking of bread, they're growing, and then they're praying. And what else is built into that, right? That they're providing a place for fellowship, that they're observing the Lord's Supper in, in prayer. And, and then if I read on in verse uh, 43 to 47, same passage, chapter 2 of Acts, it says, And awe came over every soul. So it just said what they were doing together. And here's the result. Awe came over every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Remember, that was... Uh, through the apostles at that time. And all who believed were together, had all things in common. Right? There's that unity that Jesus wants. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, Praising God so that they are worshiping and having favor with all people. They're being a good witness to each other and the people around them. And then the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There is a model for church growth. Jesus builds the church. We shouldn't be ever concerned about numbers, how many people are coming or not coming. Jesus will take care of that. Here's what we need to do. Let's focus on what we're supposed to be doing. Right? Teaching sound doctrine. We're reading and studying. We're learning the Word of God, learning about who we are, that we are growing together, so we're fellowshipping together, encouraging each other, right? Remembering the Lord through um, observing His um, ordinances, the Lord's Supper, and baptism. And we're praying. And what it says is they were unified in all that. Now, you read this, well, that sounds like communism. There's a little socialist, isn't there? Right there. They're selling everything. No, but here's the difference. It wasn't the government telling them to do that, right? And they weren't compelled. It wasn't like, you have to do this or else you're not part of the church. They did it because they wanted to. 
they were just like, yeah, God has given me so much. The first generation of Christians are just like, yeah, this is what we should be doing. You know, and if they had land, they could keep it if they want. If they wanted to sell it, they could sell it. But they need to be honest about it. Remember what happened? Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, that's a story for another day. But I hope that's a good picture for you, church, as we wrap this up. A good picture for you. I like to say that a lot. Church, I address you as church. I'm part of the church because that's who we are. It's a great reminder that it is us, right? Remember this, this silly thing. I mean, it's so funny, but you know what I'm about to do, right? And my grandma taught me this. She was a believer. My grandma, my mother's mother, was a believer, a strong believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I didn't know it. Because I wasn't a believer at the time. It wasn't until after she passed away, I became a believer myself. And I look back and I see everything that she taught me. And her witness and her example. How beautiful it was. I look back, I didn't even know that was happening. But God was using her. You probably have somebody in your life like that. She taught me that little thing. She said, here's the church. And here's the steeple. You open the doors and who do you see? All the people, right? But why? It's silly, right? It's a little kid's thing. And you're like, yeah, look, that's, that's us right there. We look good. But why is that? Why is it? Because you open the doors and you see the people. Why? Because that's the church. Here's the church. He's a steeple. It's not the building. It's the people inside. That is us. We are the church. So the church is to teach biblical doctrine, be grounded in our faith, to be a, a place of fellowship, right? First uh, John 3.11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. That's a great call. The church is to be a place where believers can observe the Lord's Supper. To be a place that promotes prayer, that teaches how to pray, and that practices prayer individually and together. The church is to proclaim the gospel. How about one of the most famous passages for the church? Matthew 28, right? 18 to 20. Jesus came and said to him, said to all of them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's because he's the head. Get it? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, of just your community, just people that look like you. No, it says all nations. See, it's global, the whole world. See, Israel, I'll stop right there for a second. Another difference between the Old and New Testament, law and grace, and we see where the, the temple was, and now we are the temple. But see, it used to be, Come and see in the temple. Like, this is where God is. Come and see. But now in the church age, it's go and tell. See, we get together to, to, to be equipped to learn so that we can then go and share our faith and be people of hope. Not to just keep it here. Why? Because, see, Israel was a nation. They had a land. They were geographically set in a, in a, in a, in a, in a certain place on the map. Does the church have a country? Is the church just one particular nation, like a geographical place? No. The church is worldwide. So Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, no matter what language they speak, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So there's the baptism, and there is the Lord's Supper, because he commanded that as well. And then he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he starts that by saying, I have all the authority I'm giving it to you because I'm the head. And then he ends by saying, and I'm going to be with you the whole way. Be with you the whole way. So the apostles teaching, that would have included things like caring for the poor, starting with the church. Never read about the the teaching of Jesus and the apostles about caring for the poor. Or if you even look in the Old Testament about it, it always started with the people, the people of Israel themselves caring for their own or the church. We care for our own. 
And then we take that out beyond these four walls. But it starts with us, see? So if our nature is that we are the body of Christ, our purpose is to be the body of Christ, means in motion. Our bodies were created to move. Now, some days I wake up, but I don't feel like that. Right? However, we've been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then gives us gifts, gifts to use to bless one another and to bless God. We can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to keep us pure and holy until Christ's return for us. And I'll end with this passage. John 17. I have given, this is Jesus. Read, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you, go back home and read all of John 17. It's this amazing prayer of Jesus, our high priest, towards the end of his earthly life. And he's praying this amazing prayer. He's talking to God. He's saying, Father, I have given them, meaning his people, the disciples, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I don't, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Isn't that beautiful? That's what Jesus did for us. When he said, I'll build my church, this is what it is. He's talking to the Father saying, Father, would you protect my sheep? Because I'm coming back home to you now for a while. And until I return for them, they need your help. They need protecting. And the world is not going to like them because they didn't like me, Father. The world rejected me, Jesus said, so they're going to reject us. And he's saying, Father, but they're not really meant to be here. See, they're not of this world they're in it just like i was in it but i'm not of it and so they're not of it and so they need your help they need protecting and guiding and i've given them your word father and that's going to lead them and guide them and i'm going to give them their, i'll give them the holy spirit too you see that church we have the very word of god and we have the holy spirit both to lead us and to guide us and both will teach us the word of god teaches us and the holy spirit uses the word of god to remind us about who we are and what we're called to be. Let's stand together, church. Father, we are grateful that we had this time together today. We are grateful for your powerful word that shows us who we are. Thank you that you have called us out of this world, out of this world, to not be of it, to be in it, to represent you. God, may we do that. And as Jesus prayed, we pray that as well. Would you keep us from the evil one, from our enemy? That he would not thwart your plans and that as we, as we um, desire to follow your lead, that we would rely on your word and the Holy Spirit to guide us. Thank you for all those spiritual blessings you've given us, Lord. Thank you for telling us who we are and that we are intimately and forever connected to the Lord Jesus. That we share with him, we partake of him, we receive from him. Thank you for making us the body. May we all remember that we all play an important role, a vital role, that we can't live without each other. May we remember that when we're discouraged. And Father, as we go from this place, lead the way. 
Help us to represent you well as you are people of hope in this world that desperately needs it. In Jesus' name, our head, we pray. Amen.